tonight. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when somebody's resume is put before an employer, one of the things that, if there's some way that it could be shown, or certainly a way that it's verbalized, is that as this person comes to apply for this job, people want to know that these employees are possible and employees will have initiative. We seem to miss a lot of that in this day. Uh, the importance of initiative. It's, it's initiative, of course, is, is, isn't only just good for, for work, but it's good for many things. It, it, it means that things will get done, that not only will somebody do something because we've told them to do it, but they'll see other things that have to get done. And without somebody even telling them, they'll, they have the initiative. They, they can see that something has to be accomplished. They won't just stand around waiting for things to happen. They'll make it happen. Uh, it's great to see that in our houses, in our homes, where we don't always have to tell our children you know, you ought to do this, you ought to do that. Uh, when we see that initiative that's taken, where people aren't just sitting around waiting for somebody else to do it, or sitting around, you know, waiting for sales to come in, we go out to bring sales in. There's just a, something very positive, something productive, something very virtuous about having initiative. Some people will say that if it wasn't for people's initiative, many things would never happen. Young men, I, I remember with my boys, with my son, they used to, you know, when we talk about them getting married or having, you know, going out, finding a woman for their lives, right? And I, it's kind of corny, I suppose, but used to say, you know, faint of heart winneth not the hand of fair maiden. Right? If you don't stick your neck out, and if you're always afraid that somebody's going to say no to you, well, then you're never going to get married. And uh, I think, it seems, that my boys have taken some of that advice. And uh, a couple of them are, have gotten married, and one of them is getting close to that. So I'm thankful to God for that. But they, they, they had to take initiative. Uh, not many people would get jobs if they don't take initiative. Not many people would get much accomplished of anything without initiative. Well, when it comes to our salvation, if it wasn't for the gracious initiative of God, we'd all be lost. And that's that. And nobody would hear words of gospel because God never spoke them. And nobody would have words of gospel because God never sent anyone so that there would be. Nobody would be able to hear salvation has come to this house. God seeks and saves the lost. It carries on in our day, but it's been there throughout history. It's come to its fullest expression uh, in the person of Jesus Christ, but it's, be and it's because of him that prior to his ministry 
after his ministry, there could be gospel, there could be salvation, there could be the seeking and saving the lost at all. So tonight we want to take a moment to consider how God's seeking and saving of the lost has been evident ever since mankind fell into sin before Christ's ministry, during Christ's ministry, and after Christ's earthly ministry. We start by looking, first of all, uh, at, at the fact that God has sought and saved his own already before Christ's earthly ministry. And of course, the example that we have that's been given to us in the Belgian Confession takes us back to Genesis 3, doesn't it? And the same kind of language that's used in Luke, as we just read, is used by the writers of the Belgian Confession regarding God's initiative for a fallen world. He was pleased to seek and comfort a miserable and a sinful humanity. God takes the initiative to restore mankind in time. And so it's not just then that, that God chooses and, and takes the initiative in eternity, indeed he does, when it comes to the electing of his people, but he also takes the initiative in time. And we see the pre-Christ initiative from Genesis 3 especially. It's not mankind in Genesis 3 who's seeking God at all. It's like what we hear in Romans 3, that nobody seeks after God. Because nobody's righteous, not even one. Mankind hides from God. Mankind runs from God. He, he flees from God. It's God who is seeking man. It's God who says, where are you? And it's not as if God doesn't know. But rather, to elicit an honest answer from man and to show him as to show himself as the one who seeks the lost. Even when man and woman had sinned against each other and against God and they lay accusation elsewhere, they're shifting blame and, and all the long, all the while making their relationship with God and themselves worse because they're always pointing at somebody else as the problem. And especially God, when God isn't the guilty one at all, remarkably, God is still taking the initiative. There's nobody else to take it. The initiative to save. From the very outset, it's God who seeks and saves the lost. It's God who gives gospel. It's God who gives good news. It's God who promises that there would be this one, as even the confession recalls for us, this one who's born of the woman, born under the law, who would crush the serpent's head, though his own heel would be bruised. God would bring remedy. God would bring salvation. And without him, and without that initiative, there is no hope, there is no salvation, there's nothing but curse, and life is nothing. Yeah, because with mankind this is impossible. This hope, this salvation, especially as one would run uh, from God like mankind does, but with God all things are possible because he takes the initiative, and that's what he has mentioned earlier in Luke 18. What's impossible with men is possible with God. 
Now, of course, the Genesis account isn't the first, isn't the only time when God takes an initiative in the Old Testament. He he takes the initiative as he establishes the covenant of grace with Abraham, the father of all believers. Abraham did not call on God first. God called Abraham on earth so that Abraham would call on God. God was seeking and saving the lost so that, among others, people like Zacchaeus would also be known as a child of faith, a child of grace, a child of the spiritual family of Abraham. He too is a son of Abraham. And it isn't based on his ethnic heritage. It's based on the gracious adopted heritage that God establishes with all people, regardless of their ethnicity, through faith in Jesus Christ. There are so many instances when God sought and saved in the Old Testament when he came to seek and save what was lost. You see, when Moses encounters God in the burning bush episode of Exodus 3, where the bush burns but it's never consumed. And such is a case where, where God was going to deliver his people out of bondage, not because they sought him so much, but because he sought them. You can think about the prophets that God sent through the Old Testament to the various people in various circumstances, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Nathan, Jonah, just to name a few. And they were sent so that the lost might be sought and saved, that people might come to repentance and turn from their sin and turn to God. And among the different lessons that we learned then uh, from the fact that there was this seeking and this saving in the Old Testament times, from the beginning of time, even from the beginning of time, is that, you see, there's always been, and that's what we need to know, isn't it? There's always been this saving and merciful and, and caring God. There's always been this saving and merciful word of the Lord to be found in the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ has always been there. It's always been there to provide help. It's always been proclaimed from the very time when mankind needed the mercy of God to be proclaimed. God in his mercy has never left mankind totally hopeless. So that in turn a, a people who have called upon the name of the Lord has always existed. Right, even from the very beginnings there in Genesis, and you hear about these people that were trying to make a name for themselves, and in the process, yet we also read, and in those days, people were calling on the name of the Lord. That was grace at work. That was God's initiative. And these truths go to show us many things. Christian gospel and faith is not some Johnny-come-lately faith. You know, like in the Old Testament, well, it's all about works then, and now it's all about grace in the New Testament. No. The Christian gospel has always been there. You know, there's Johnny-come-lately faiths today, there's no doubt about it, all around us. Islam is a Johnny-come-lately faith. Jehovah's Witnesses is a Johnny-come-lately faith. Mormonism is a Johnny-come-lately faith. 
These are all things that happened way after the coming of Christ. These are things that were created out of thin air. Some people wouldn't want to hear that. If I was in the wrong crowd, they'd probably take me out and kill me for saying that. But it's true. The gospel of Jesus Christ, in essence, has been around from the beginning. God's the one who has made salvation known. Far from being a God that should be seen as unfair and uncaring and, and merciless, God has always cared for His world, so much so that He gave His Son, but so much so that He's always had gospel in the world. And He always cared for humanity to such an extent that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to save those who were under the law. And that always caring God of mercy is the God we need, isn't it? A God that we can look at and say, you know what, this is a God who's always cared. And he's always shown his mercy to the world through Jesus Christ, seeking and saving the lost from the beginning of time. That's the way it was then. And that, that, that's, that's the way then, I should say, that we should be viewing God today as believers, as those called to faith in Him through Christ. In Him we have a God who always cared. And as we've seen already in the Old Testament times, it was a mercy that was intended for all kinds of people, wasn't it? Whether we see that through the mercy shown to our first parents, Adam and Eve, or whether we see it through uh, Abraham, the father of all believers, or like James likes to mention about Rahab, who was of the Canaanites, but through Jews and Gentiles, all the nations were going to be blessed by the initiative of God, whether they were Jew or whether they are Gentiles, and how glad we can be that's true here, because I doubt we have any Jews in this midst. How grateful we can be, then, that God has always cared, and he has a care for people, no matter what their bloodlines might be. Of course, we also see that, that spirit of God seeking and saving a loss through the earthly ministry of Christ here in our passage. And uh, there's just this, there's this one... You know, example that we have of Zacchaeus that the kids always want to call the wee little man, right? They sing with those those motions, and then you you know sometimes they they make him out like he's so tiny that you could fit him between your finger and your thumb. Well, he wasn't that small, but we use those kind of hand uh, motions as we sing the song. Anyway, but he was more than just a wee little man; he was a rich little man. And clearly, the passage tells us that Jesus is the Son of Man, is the one who came as the true royal Son of God, true man, true God, has come to save and seek, seek and save the lost. The lost are people like Zacchaeus. The small and the rich. He was of small stature. The passage would tell us that when it talks about being small of stature, it's a word that we get our 
word microscope from, right? We talk about something being microscopic or microeconomics or something else that is that where, where we use that term to mean something small. And uh, he was also somebody, of course, that was rich. But little ones in Luke are, when they're mentioned, they're, they're portrayed as weak and, and insignificant and, and hopeless, powerless. You know, now, there's a couple places just nearby that, that speak to that. Back in chapter uh, 948, when Luke uses that very same word, uh, small, uh, he says there, uh, as we look to uh, that verse, it says, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least, that's the same word, he who's small among you is the one who's great. And then a little while later in chapter 12, as Jesus is bringing encouragement to those who are anxious, he says in verse 32 of chapter 12, you're not little flock, it's a micro flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You're small, but you're going to be great. You may look small in the world's eyes, but by my initiative, by my grace, you're going to receive the kingdom. Well, Zacchaeus is small. And, uh, but he's also rich. He's chief among the, the, uh, the tax collectors. And, of course, he got rich not by noble means. We see that evident as well. He's not liked, and he admits to it himself. But Jesus just got finished saying in chapter 18 that it was hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And on top of all that, we see Zacchaeus as the one who is seeking to see Jesus. He's seeking Jesus. Jesus comes to seek and save the lost, and he accomplishes that. But Jesus finds Zacchaeus, or we find Zacchaeus, seeking to see Jesus, but he's initially failing at that. He cannot until he climbs the tall sycamore tree. Took a look today, just or the other day, I should say, and thinking about how tall sycamore trees can get. And I heard that I was reading. Yeah, I googled it. So, uh, but it, they said typically they could get seventy-five to one hundred feet high. They get huge, and you see these pictures. Some of these trees are just enormous. Some of them can get one hundred seventy-five feet high. That's that's enormous. Well, we don't know exactly how high this sycamore tree was, but no doubt he picked it because it was a tall one. And he could get up into that tree, and then he could see. Then he could see. Zacchaeus, in many respects, though, in this passage, is presented to us as an impossible case. He's a hopeless sinner. That's underscored by those who grumble. Joy in Zacchaeus' heart we see, but there's grumbling in these people's hearts because they said, what in the world are you doing fellowshipping with somebody who's a sinner? That's impossible. That shouldn't be. That can't be done. 
that ought not to be done. But that's what Jesus does. He fellowships as only he can make it happen. Because he seeks and saves the lost. That's why he can fellowship with us. That's why he can fellowship with Zacchaeus. Jesus accomplishes the impossible. He came as God, the Son, the Holy God that he was, to commune with people not worthy of his fellowship. Wow, we come to cut together here in this place believing that we have communion with God and fellowship with one another. Do we always realize just how impossible that is for us to enjoy on our own? And what a privilege that is to be able to do that. And to have that relationship with God every day like Well, what's impossible with man is possible with God. And Zacchaeus is the first example that we get. Well, maybe not the first one, but certainly one of the first ones. He heals a blind beggar before that, but he's one of the first ones right after he finished talking about the fact that what's impossible with man is possible with God. Even a rich man going through the eye of a needle is easier to get into the kingdom But Jesus is able to accomplish that. Zacchaeus is viewed as one failing in his seeking. But Christ is not seen that way at all. Christ, the seeker and the savior of the hopeless and the impossible, accomplishes the impossible. And that's how we ought to see our lives, right? Today I must abide at your house. Today salvation has come to this house. But that's because that's what today's all about. Today in Luke is the day of salvation. <clears throat> right? We hear that, the boys and girls, it could even be, I, I haven't been able to hear the program, so maybe they won't recite that. They may, I don't know. But a lot of Christmas programs, you'll hear a boy or a girl say, and today is born, this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Right? Today. The only other time we read Luke, by the way, that anybody makes haste, like Jesus says, hurry, come down, because I have to stay at your house today. So he hurries, and he comes down. And receives him joyfully. The only other time that that has ever happened is when the shepherds hurried to Bethlehem because they heard that today he's born to you a Savior. And he receives Christ. Today is the day of the Lord's favor filled in your midst, Jesus would say. When he's at Capernaum. Today is the day of the Lord's favor. Today you will be with me in paradise. He says to the thief on the cross. 
to walking on the road to Emmaus. As they talked to Jesus unknowingly that it's he, they said today is three days after the crucifixion according to those walking on that road today. Today I must stay at your house. This is what I came to do. Today salvation has come to this house. Today is the day of grace, you say. Today is when the impossible happens. You know, one of the things we like about reading certain stories or, or maybe if you enjoy athletics at all and you see some comeback in a, in a game. You go, they just accomplished the impossible. How did they come all the way back from being so far down? It was impossible. And But if you're on that team or you're rooting for that team, your heart just swells with joy. Because the impossible happened today. Today is the day when people's lives are changed that couldn't change on their own. Today when people say, who can be saved? Can lives be changed? When they say that about themselves or other people, the answer is, that's impossible with you. That's impossible with me. But it is not impossible with Jesus, who came to seek and save those who were lost. See, Grace made Zacchaeus into something big when he was small. And it made a, a completely different person. He came to know the joy of living. And subsequently he came to know the joy of giving. And it was no longer anymore about what he could get. Nothing was more precious, priceless, than the communion and the grace that he came to know in Jesus Christ that people would have said to them, to him, would have been impossible for him to enjoy. What a gift that he's been given. So now it was about giving. And about reflecting the amazing grace of God in Jesus Christ, which Christ had given an impossible salvation for him, but one that God could accomplish through Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit. That today of long ago is a today that still rests with us today. Today's the day of God's mercy. Today's the day of God's salvation. Today's the day of transformation. God's doing the impossible. Today is the day that believers in Jesus Christ who seeks and saves the lost may enjoy a day where they can rejoice in the God who has found them. If he's found you, you can rejoice today. Because he found you. And you may have times in your lives where Difficulties discourage you, maybe even devastate you, get you on your knees and cause you to fall. But when you're a Christian, 
you can remember in all of that that the Lord Jesus found you. And he found you unto his salvation and unto his blessing. You love how they say that in the confession. It says that he gave his son, did God, to make mankind blessed. You know, if the Lord finds you, he's not going to lose you. If he's found you, he's not going to lose you. He's not going to let you go. Because he'll never leave you. And he'll never forsake you. God's never going to do that when he's found you in Christ. Not when he's done the impossible for you. You know, since he didn't spare his son but gave him up for us all, won't he also along with him graciously give us all things? Don't lose heart if you're discouraged. Not if you know yourself as someone whom Christ sought and Christ found and Christ saved. Real quickly here, the lessons of Zacharias remind us of Christ's power over sin. What he did for Zechariah, he can do for others. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. And he still seeks to do that after Christ's earthly ministry. He still seeks and saves the lost, you see. The Great Commission calls for people to go into all the world. Jesus said prior to his ascension that the message is to go to Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. It's, it's a message for the wayward inside the church, but it's also for unbelievers outside of the church. It's to go to the lost that they may be found. In the book of Acts, we hear that that's what happened. The gospel went to all kinds of people, and ultimately it was God's initiative. He caused it to happen, but if if he didn't use the initiative of others, nobody would have heard. We would never have heard the gospel ourselves, and we would have never been saved. Of course, God gives the increase, but he calls his church to plant the seeds and water them. It happens to be sure through church leadership and, and so many other ways, but the word needs to be heard, doesn't it, so people can be saved. God uses his word among our friends or relatives or others we don't know. We support that word through our funding and prayer, particularly for those who can do that on a full-time basis. But what's beautiful, what's beautiful is that as long as it's called today, it's still a day of salvation. No matter what might be happening in the world, God is still seeking and saving the lost by his mercy and his gospel, just like he always is. And he's doing it through his initiative and through his word and through his people, calling people to salvation and a transferred transformed life in Christ and to, and to take joy in knowing that they've been found. I pray that, that you've heard that saving, transforming call in your life. I pray that he's found you. That you take joy in knowing that he's found you. And he'll never let you go. 
And I pray that you can say that you're saved by Christ. May God's initiative to seek and save be reflected in those of us who've been found in Jesus. So that by God's grace, others in our today may call on the name of the Lord and be saved. That they might receive Him joyfully because they were once lost. Now they're found.